Support for this episode of Be Real is brought to you by Lucasfilm presenting Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Directed by J.J. Abrams, starring Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac. Original score by John Williams. Academy eligible. Now playing everywhere. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal. Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. Happy end of 2019, everyone. But a pretty decent year for movies. A good year even, perhaps. We are here on Be Real, your movie-reviewing, reappraising, genre-hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network to talk about the year in review. My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. I love the way you tilt your head up and take a big breath to say your own name like some kind of 40s radio announcer. I mean, what are we, like, hundreds of episodes in now? Like... It's I gotta like reflex. I'm a creature of habit. It's a reflex. Just gotta yeah. just gotta hit it if we're gonna talk deep movie cuts for the better part of what do we end up doing? Six hours that we cut down to about uh, one fifteen. Yeah, that's typically uh, <laughs> my job. Um, I'm jazzed to talk about 2019 in film with you, buddy. It was the fourth year of our podcast. It was our first year on the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can and should. Find other wonderful shows like The Fourth Wall and The Discourse. Subscribe and rate the Playlist Podcast Network wherever you get your shows. But yeah, we have arranged some wide-ranging categories here to get us talking about 2019. Are you ready to go? Do you have any thoughts off the top? I cannot wait. Um, As I was saying before we started, I haven't seen a lot of the major blockbusters this year. So feel maybe like a little anxious about this exercise do you i don't know i just feel like i i didn't i'm feeling as a cinema goer at the end of 2019 like there's still so many things that i want to see that like i want to talk about too and it's just weird to me because of the way these movies are released that like so many year-end lists have come out and it's like including movies that like has this reviewer seen this movie pop sugar like who knows? But I'm not going to pull any punches here or pretend that I have seen like the prestige movies or okay. the Disney fair that I haven't seen. So this is the asterisk in front of this episode is that this is just my very corny, very podcast centric viewing experience. This What you're saying is you have a big cats shaped asterisk next to your picks, right? Absolutely. Did you see the thing where Tom Hooper got to the premiere and said that he had finished cats that morning after being up for 36 hours <laughs> i just don't i don't want to buy into any of the mythology of cats because that, that implies that like movie of the year oh my god and that's been be real this episode <laughs> and the entire podcast here's a question i'll leave you with how did the golden globes nominate cats if it wasn't done until a day ago as of the time this is what i'm talking about yeah see these movies that just like have a lot of buzz and get released around the holidays and then find themselves to be like best musical contender screeners are mysterious beasts aren't they indeed 
All right. So we're going to start with uh, some categories that we made up to get us talking about the year, and then we'll round out with our top 10. Noah, your favorite acting from 2019 that will never get awards consideration. I am coming in super hot right off the bat here, and I'm going to say that I thought the most interesting performance I saw this year was Jake Gyllenhaal in Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh, my God. I thought that movie was really underrated. Uh, I think that he plays this sort of sexy, smoldering, but also asexual character with just immaculate taste and like incredible suits on all the time, except when he has a shirt off, which is like also pretty good. Uh, For your consideration, Jake Gyllenhaal in Velvet Buzzsaw. Critique is so limiting and emotionally draining. I'm hoping you find something to explain what's happening. Which one's better? One or two? Better or worse, no different. No different. I guess the back half of the category applies that will not get any awards consideration. Well, what's his, you remember his character's name? I thought he had a great name. Morph Vanderwalt. I told you. That is the Reynolds Woodcock Award for Best Character Name of the Year. Exactly. I think Maya Erskine in Plus One is incredible. She basically carries that uh, VOD rom-com in a real light year for your beloved genre of rom-coms. I told you to watch Plus One. I don't think you made it around to it, did you? I didn't. I'm sorry. That's all right. It's fine. She does this sort of... She has this great thing in total opposition to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope in the movie where she's kind of a tornado and she's kind of a mess in this like completely like self-possessed like car- like self-entertaining cartoony way, which is just a look you don't see in a lot of rom-coms, especially when it comes to a character who at the end of the movie can still be hurt. I love that performance. You know, we could actually, like, do this for all the weddings. Do what? I take you, you take me, win-win. You're suggesting doubling down on weddings? Be your wingman. I'm gonna tee it up for you with the ladies. I'll set you up so you can do your thing, you know? What is happening here? This is you. Getting pounded by a pussy. Jesus Christ. Should we keep going? You got any more? Yeah. Well, can I do my first category here? Yes. Of 2019, which movie featured your favorite escape room? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. How can I possibly get out of this answering this the way you want? Are there any other options? Here, you know what? I'll do what you want me to do. I will utter the two words, escape room, Noah. That's thank. That's very generous of you. All right, Noah Ballard, twenty nineteen, biggest disappointment relative to your expectations. I talked about this a little bit when we t- when we did it uh, on the podcast, but I have to say, where'd you go, Bernadette? And really just like the year for literature as movie with this and the goldfinch, like two huge best-selling books. This one I saw, the other one I did not. Um, But Where'd You Go Bernadette was a real disappointment considering the commercial nature of the property itself. Okay. Okay. 
I'm going back to Ad Astra. It's kind of how we talked about what? it on the show. I thought you like kind of liked Ad Astra. Isn't Ad Astra on your top 10? No. It's nowhere oh. near my top 10. Interesting. We, I thought you would put it on All we talked your... about is how much it disappointed us. Well, I didn't like it that much, but I thought you kind of defended it, if anything. I think there are defensible things about it. I think how it's, disappointing I just, it is? It's like one of those weird... And maybe this is just like a plea to get off of Twitter, but it it, keep, it kept striking me as a movie where like everyone's first read on it was like, it's about toxic masculinity and like not believing that your dad is the end-all be-all and all of these things and searching for a new kind of masculinity. It's like, yeah, okay, but what about after that? After you get done telling me about the, you know, the four-word hot-button political synopsis, I don't think it's a movie that makes a ton of sense, does right by a lot of its other characters, or is, like, very rich as an adventure once you get into it. To me... Now, it's pretty boring. It's disappointing. Yeah, for sure. Especially Um, because all I wanted it from... All I wanted from it was the goddamn world, and it didn't give it to me. I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Control, if you're getting that over. That's right. I also kind of wanted the world from It Chapter 2. I really enjoyed the first It and... Then with that big sort of shiny cast signed on with Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain, I thought, and maybe like a Wardsy. I feel like someone someone took a hot take of uh, saying it was like a Wards fodder. It's like, but it certainly wasn't. We say a lot of things in August when it's like this big popular movie could also be prestige, and then that's not true for ninety percent of movies. It was terrible. Moving on. Which movie was like sitting on your Netflix queue or like haunting you in your watch next list that you were like, I mean, maybe I'd watch that, but like not now. Well, this is really like, you know, putting my dirty laundry as a film critic out in the open, but I did not make it to Avengers Endgame. And the big reason, besides the fact I didn't want to, was uh, that I didn't want to watch 12 movies to understand it. I tried to put on Avengers, whatever the one before Endgame is, on Netflix where it's available. And couldn't follow the first 20 minutes because I had like didn't have the story knowledge. And they did sure. not make it accessible enough for a lay person such, such as myself to digest the creative process. Haunted by anything else? I'm going to say the one that really like searched me out and like hasn't let go probably because I haven't watched it yet uh, is Kevin Costner in The Highwaymen. How many bullets you got in you? 16, I think. Might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime. Might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime. I ain't got no bullets in me. Because I was covering you. It's like I do like a couple of guys on the road, like heist movie, but like highway. Do you like a couple of guys? You like a couple guys on the road killing the heisters movie? Is that what they're doing? I don't. Yeah, they're hunting Bonnie and Clyde. Just give like J.C. Shandor like ten million dollars to do whatever he wants. Always give J.C. Give me quadruple frontier. (laughs) 
Quadruple Frontier. Noah, this leads right into one of my jokey categories. What was your movie death of the year? Movie death of the year. Oh my. Um, I, I, I'll give you a minute. Second. I only asked about it because I could only think about how long they haul Ben Affleck's 500 pound corpse around for the last hour of Triple Frontier. <laughs> oh man. It was amazing that they didn't have to like get like a, a little truck or something. Right. <laughs> Nothing like serious, just like something that you use to haul around like farm goods. Sure. I think my favorite death of the year was the paralyzed boyfriend in the bear suit at the end of Midsummer. Fuck yeah. That's a that good was one. a really that was an epic death. What do you mean by chance this next category favorite movie seemingly no one saw? You mean like a movie that I saw and I tried to like engage with people about it and nobody had seen it? Sure, that's a good reading on it. Yeah. That movie for me is The Art of Self-Defense. Yeah. I think that movie's like endlessly discussable and nobody in my orbit had fucking seen it. So and yeah, you the, really like that movie. You want to just go off on it for a second? It's kind of a forgotten yeah. one. This Didn't year. we talk about it on the podcast? No, we, no? we did not. I have all these false memories. Um, Art of Self-Defense is about this guy who gets uh, attacked on his way home, uh, getting some fucking cat food, and he decides to join a, like a karate dojo so he can protect himself from future attacks which reveals this like very cult-like karate studio with this really and the movie has this really biting sense of humor like how to play how ridiculous that premise is and it lingers somewhere between like vim vendor's realism about like what it must be like to actually manage a karate dojo like in a strip mall but also like a funniness a sort of lightness to it that I don't know. I found it immensely watchable. I want you to tell me why you're here. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. <laughs> I want to be what intimidates me. You came to the right place. I would say, yeah, my bar for like what no one has seen, the more movies I try to see... Uh, you know, goes up and up. Wild Nights with Emily, that uh, revisionist Emily Dickinson comedy with. Uh, oh yeah, you Molly you went Shannon. nuts with that one. I did. I'm part of it was being like excited about a movie in April when no good movies had come out. Um, but yeah, nobody saw that, and I think it made like under five hundred thousand dollars. But uh, I think a really interesting. You know, I'm all in on like weird approaches to the biopic because the standard approach to the biopic is snoozy as all hell. Yeah, but it's like really funny and like weirdly, uh, you know, it, it imagines in this great scene with Brett Gilman of like what it must have been like for her to be like put down by a like a lit journal person, but he's like comically stupid. Um, uses her poetry quite well. I like it. 
Susan, you have to be careful. You are the one who writes the poems. Puts it in ink. Every poet has a muse. These are for you. One cup flour, no, add milk. It's on the other side. Okay, next category. The I just do not get what people see in it movie of the year. Yep. I think this one is obvious. What? Oh, what were you going to say? Well, I tried to take the I I tried to go letter of the law in most of these categories because it's my stupid letter and my stupid law. But I tried to, you know, I think a movie like Joker, I do understand what people see in it, but I'm troubled by that noise. But that's clearly your pick. Let's talk about it. That is my pick. Um yep. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of there there. Like, it's not a very well-made movie. Sure, it has a very compelling, but like, a very compelling but nuanced performance at its center that's like, kind of boring. And like, nothing really fucking happens. There's no like, action sequences really. It's just like, brief bouts of violence and then engaging with something politically, it just sort of cuts to him dancing for five minutes. And by the end of it, it's like, okay, this movie left no impression on me whatsoever. Not, I'm not offended or like in support of it. I just feel nothing. Mm. I don't know if my chief complaint would be that it is boring. It's just a movie that like thinks it is. Well, I mean, you can listen to Todd Phillips talk about it. He thinks it's a movie that's sort of like draped in ambiguity. And somehow he thinks it's also a very empathetic movie. Um when there are no empathetic characters in the movie, there's a dimensionless angel in the Zazie Beats character, and then everyone is mean to a man, which exacerbates his mental illness. Like, it's investigating mental illness, but that's also not how mental illness works. My, did my did big, Sarah confirm that? She Yes, I asked my... Hold on. We have to discuss this. Now that I'm engaged to Sarah, I have a oh, nine-month... Yeah. Have we win- announced that officially? I'm an, uh, right here, right now, in front of all you strangers who don't care. I'm engaged to a woman you don't know. Congratulations! Um, thank you. Uh, but I now have a nine-month window where I can do the Billy Zane, my fiance. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I think Joker is the uh, dumb. Mine is under the Silver Lake. I tried to give that about half an hour about three months ago, and it didn't do much for me. Sure. It's a movie that is, as anyone who's seen it knows, chock full of these meandering mystery Hollywood references to Chinatown and the long goodbye and this whole canon of Big Lebowski, this whole canon of the, you know, fuck up would be detective character driving around LA doing drugs and being charming slash alienating everyone. Um, But I just (laughs) find the um andrew garfield character to be so repulsive and not interesting and you run up against that impasse of people who like the movie being like well it's a point he's not supposed to be interesting he's like a boring like fuck up and it's just like but if he's truly a charmless boring fuck up then why am i watching for an assortment of references to much better movies. I I truly right. do not get what people see in it. So, that's my pick. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. 
Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. You found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means to stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages, from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could be any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. Give me a break. Give me a break. Let's do some fun ones. These are positive. Yes. Noah, what was the hardest you laughed at a movie in 2019? I have to say it was a split between the realization slash acid fight scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's what I have. And the Keanu Reeves dinner from Always Be My Maybe. Mm. Mm. I missed you. I missed you so much. I missed your mouth. I missed your heart. Oh, God. Those are good picks. I yes, I also literally have the Brad Pitt line written down. Uh, can I help you? To <laughs> to text charging into the house with a gun. I really like. I was actually the only one in my theater who kind of like cackled at the the Daniel Craig line in Knives Out, where he quotes Gravity's Rainbow, and the person says, "I haven't read that." And he goes, neither have I. No one has. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Buddy, your favorite shot of the year. Also a toss-up for me between, as I spoke about moments ago, the final shot of Midsummer. Just the smile on her fucking face. Oh, yeah. This bear guy just like burns up. Great it's call. Great. Great and then the other iconic one of the year, I would say, is the Queen and Slim photo shoot shot. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool, too. That's the strength of that movie for me is the visuals, that, like real time iconography that it's trying to create. A shot that really stuck with me and really kind of sold me on Lorraine Scafaria's direction of Hustlers is when it's all going bad and the amount of like cash and you know chips and credit cards swiping you've seen in that movie the amount of objectified wealth in hustlers that you see and then when they're truly going down you have j-lo going out to the atm and you get just the shot of the hand as the 20 dollar bill like goes off into the wind is a great i know there are people who would wrap me on the hand for being for comparing it to goodfellas because they want it to stand on its own Goodfellas is an incredible movie, and I'm sorry, comparing it to Goodfellas is a compliment. <laughs> and it's uh, that's that movie's version of uh, the the helicopter chase. So, like that shot. I agree with you. That's a good one. All right. Your favorite needle drop of the year, Noah Ballard. By which you mean musical cue. I do. That's not in the score. High Flying Bird. Richie Havens from High Flying oh, Bird. Oh, yeah. Just like walking around the financial district to this like really cool song. It's like a pretty, it's pretty sick. There's a high flying bird flying way up in the sky. And I wonder if she looks down as she goes on by. There is a phenomenal use of William Joel's The Stranger in Uncut Gems. I'm sure you'll enjoy when... You get to see it. And my runner-up is uh, Waltzing Matilda at the end of the Deadwood movie, which is television, but uh, it was a movie. It said so right in the title. How could it not be? It's a television-style wrap-up of, like, let's put it all around a song, kind of like, you know, Don't Stop Believing in The Sopranos or something, but uh, 
It's great. It's the thing I'll remember most about that movie. Okay. Noah, the movie that vacated your memory the quickest in 2019. You saw it, but did you? Right. I think it has to come down to the fact that I can't, in my memory, distinguish what bit was in what men want and what bit was in Isn't It Romantic? That I've kind of like fused the two together. Oh, sure, yeah. That probably means that these movies like were not that uh, lasting in their aesthetic whatever. I can't believe you beat me to this reference, but I don't remember a single thing that happens in Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> what happens in that movie? Like it's the like, art like comes alive a little bit. Yeah. And like people are wearing people glasses. do things to each other. I didn't say it was a great movie. It's not in my top <laughs> ten of the year. I, I just really is. liked the Gyllenhaal performance. Actually a bit bad if I were to weigh in, but I'm not doing that officially. <laughs> um Yeah, it's just like you know, somebody wanders to one art installation and they're like, is anyone here? And then the art installation chops their arm off or something. Basically, yeah. Makes it very hard to remember what happens or what the point of that movie was. Yeah, gun to my head, I'd probably say it's a bad good. I could perhaps get on board with that. Um, which leads us into our next category. Your trash lord of 2019, the most bad good movie. What do you got? <sighs> Okay, so the nominees are, in my mind, okay. The Intruder with uh, Dennis Quaid <laughs> torturing, his, his, uh, torturing the people that buy his, his family home. Yep. Uh, second, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, the Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Yeah. And number three, the teen porn YA novel turned totally sterile, mediocre movie after. That's bad, bad. Lucy, if you believe it or not, saw this movie two times in theaters. I remember. You need to get... There's a moment... (laughs) Didn't we talk about that movie? Yes, we did a whole category about it. That was a mistake. It was a big mistake. I have seen... I will hopefully I will have gotten a few more by the end of the year, but I have seen ninety two thousand nineteen movies this year. What I have? You go to more screenings than I do. I do. I envy you that. Well, you have a, a actual job you need, you need to do. Um, but the feeling that you get to see more movies than I do does not give me hunger. Do you, would you like to know where after ranks for me? Where's after in the it 90 is, films you've seen this year? It is number 90. <laughs> well, then it's the trash king. Why? Well, I, I don't. The king part. The king part doesn't make any sense. It's really terrible. Trash Lord. I thought Trash Lord's like the worst movie. No, it's the most bad good. See, I think if it's. I think the other end of the spectrum is not like the worst movie. I think the. The worst movie has to be in like 45 because on the other side of it, you start to go bad good on your list. If it's bad good, I like it more. It's higher up the list. But I thought after was pretty shameless about like how bad it was. No, it was it still is. released 
in theaters. Like, why was that movie even made? That is, that's the Costanza. Okay, that's fair. Truth or dare? Okay, truth. Are you a virgin? I'll do dare. I dare you to make out with her. I'm done playing this game. Oh, I like this girl. I have kind of a weird pick for this one. Um, I think the most bad good movie of the year for me is Jojo Rabbit. It's a movie that holds up not one iota to scrutiny of any kind about why it's made or what it's saying about the Nazis. But it does have, like, I've, I've been seeing, like, gifts of it recently as people who like it way more than I liked it still, like, talk about it. And every time I see the gifts, I'm like, oh, those kids are so cute. Oh, that's so funny what Taika was doing. And it does have this kind of mindless, loud gaggery about it with adorable children that makes it inherently bad good for me. I would put that movie more in the biggest disappointment relative to my expectations. That's fair. Because I was like pumped to see that movie, and yeah. then it was bad. We designed that whole category around it, and wasn't that oh. good? Moving on. Did you see the Ted Bundy movie? No. Did you did you have a sick, a like of it? No, I said it was the one of the <laughs> most. It was the trash lord of the year. You did not. Understand but there is this something category. really entertaining about watching. There's no violence in the film, basically whatsoever. Okay. Uh, you just have the idea that maybe Zac Efron like brutally murdered all of these people. And then you watch him like go through trying not to get caught, but you don't see him do the thing. So it's actually like a very watchable movie. Cause it's not sure. really that scary in any way. It's just Zac Efron kind of doing the talented Mr. Ripley thing. Um, but is not good at it. <laughs> So you just have this beautiful guy just like wandering around, like being his normal charm, charming self with like a, a score and a minor key. And it's like, oh, and the it's kind of green. He must be evil. Yeah. And I watched it on a plane that the time went by because of watching it. <laughs> and then I was at the place where I needed to be. And the sun was down and it was in your mind. Next up, the 2019 movie that you feel is most likely to be discussed differently in 2029. I wrote down something different, but I, in retrospect, think it will probably be the Irishman because I think it's really as far as you can take the de-aging technology before you're just like truly summoning like prestige cinema. Interesting. And I think we will look at that as either something that fundamentally worked because of the amount of people that watch the Netflix movie, uh, you'd think that the next movie that tries to do something similar will actually get like theatrical distribution in mm. a more meaningful way. But then maybe not because like Gemini Man was like sort of a, a bust too. But maybe that's the the key to the you have to put it against an interesting story and not just like use it for its own sake. Right. But I think it this will be a turning point with like how like what the difference between animation and like live action cinema will be in ten years. I also put down Gemini Man because I think Gemini. Years- you put down Gemini Man. Yes, because I think, you think ten people years- are going to look back and be like, "Wow, Gemini Man." I think I kind of picked it away that I can't lose because in 10 years we could look back and be like, well, actually 
4K 3D high frame rate stuff is all over the place. Like this is like this technology has gotten so good that we can meaningfully and naturally like replicate actors. Or we look back at it and be like, "What was that? Or what did that guy? What was that guy thinking? Like that never happened again." So it could be discussed myriad different ways, whether it becomes a trendsetter or a curio. Tell me something. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? He knew every move of mine before I made it. I'd have him right there to take the shot. I've got to say, it was definitely seeing it in the 3D, 4K, high res, whatever, in that incredible theater that I saw it in. Like it was the most like visually wrapped I've been at the cinema this year. Wow. There is something to say for like what Ang Lee was able to accomplish with this otherwise like bullshit, uh, like TNT movie premise. Yep. Okay. I have one more. I have, I actually have like kind of a big one before we get to the top tens, but tell me if you just don't want to answer this. Was there a movie this year that made you think differently about your own life? It's probably Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay. (laughs) What was yours? I put down Booksmart. And this, I mean, like any answer to this question is like really specific to you. But around the time that movie came out, you also had the Felicity Huffman college admission scandal. And you and I talked about this when we were hanging out one of a couple times this year. But like that seemed to stir up this thing, giving everyone on Twitter permission to kind of give their college choice story and the misgivings that they had about it. And I don't know if that totally is because of the depth of Booksmart, but I do think like particularly like those two characters and the Caitlin Deaver performance, which is like very human and dimensional and interesting um, for a relatively broad comedy, I think made me think about like, Oh, who I was in high school and like relating a lot to those two women and thinking that you have all the gusto in the world of like making this choice and having to come to grips later with the fact that like, there's no way that you were making a real choice with all your options on the table for whatever your reasons were societal, parental, what have you. My high school experience was more like uh, can't hardly wait. If I'm being honest, Uh, I felt nothing for book smart. It all took place in one night and, you were wearing tie-dye i think it's interesting that that movie was adjacent to this bigger conversation about one's college experience but also like it strangely was not financially successful so it like didn't draw in a huge audience i think people just used it as sort of a touchstone for whatever sort of meaning was there because it was kind of under projections yeah and then like olivia wilde like took to twitter and was like none of you saw my movie because you're dicks yeah those things are weird though i mean does everybody i knew saw Booksmart? everybody i knew voted for hillary clinton and she didn't win i think that's the whole thing right it's like we we may only know 22 million dollars worth of people you've worked harder than everyone and that is why you're a champion you understand that greatness takes sacrifice. Visualize what you still want to achieve. 
stand atop the mountain of your success and look down at everyone who's ever doubted you. Fuck those losers. Fuck them in their stupid fucking faces. Are you ready to give your top 10, Noah? I'm ready to give my top 10. All right, just list them off 10 to 1 and stop if you have something you want to say. So number 10, as I spoke of in the top of the show, Art of Self-Defense, I thought was surprising, was well-crafted, it really captured a mood, Uh, it did something interesting, and I couldn't look away, which is very rare in this day and age where I see so many garbage movies. Number nine, Netflix's High Flying Bird. Again, a movie that made it seem so cool to be somebody's person in the business sense, to be someone's representative and to like have a scheme yeah, uh, to fight back. And it felt good because it was like fighting back on sort of that racial and class barrier that exists above how sports works and how people are traded and whatnot. Can I talk about High Flying Bird? Because it's also on my list and I wrote about Please. it on the playlist year-end thing. Um I think it's a great movie. It's a really fascinating combination of Terrell McCraney, who wrote the script and wrote Moonlight, and Steven Soderbergh just being like, I could do not only everything with an iPhone, but anything I want with an iPhone. And uh, I, watching it for the third time this year, it really got me thinking about how like there's a weird harmony between this prodigious theatrical dialogue that Andre Holland and Zazie Beetz and... Zachary Quinto and Glenn Flesher and all these people and Kyle MacLachlan are so good at delivering to each other and this like bizarrely informal kind of filmmaking. Um, there's a great like read on faith in there, I think, between like like almost like Catholicism slap on the wrist, the whole thing of, you know, if you mention slavery in relation to black people or in relation to basketball you have to say i love the lord and all his black people which is kind of like a weird cynical like just say a hail mary and be done with it versus like the real deep-seated belief that that movie recommends in the end the movie is good and it contains multitudes wow that's great what else you got number eight once upon a time in hollywood good pause i thought this movie was pretty pretty good Uh, yeah great performances uh, I wish the plot had been a little bit more straightforward, but I really did enjoy, again, the mood being in this place, not only in American history, but also in Quentin Tarantino's mind, ultimately. Yep. Uh, seven, my dark horse, ready or not, I thought that was like really the, the thing that got at class this year in a way that we deal with like the hyper rich and their weird sort of habituations that lead to sort of this banal cruelty to a lower class and not in a way where it like needed to have a scene where people talk about immigrants and not in a way that it needed to be about that specifically. It was able to take an entertaining premise and really make it about like how the rich allow other people into their lives and how quickly they dismiss them. Uh, I thought it was really, I even thought it was a better allegory than us, if I'm being honest. Like, I think us was a little obscure for its own good. I think this one really, like, took it in the crosshairs. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? 
hide and seek? Are we really gonna play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. I just think Ready or Not such a loud, like, obvious critique. Like, to say it's a critique of class, she literally says fucking rich people at the end. Like, it's pretty on the nose. Right, but I feel like whereas we're thrown this sort of bizarre set of both, like, horror and then class criticism imagery in movies like Us, and it's not like having a scene where you're afraid who's going to say the first racial slur first in Knives Out. I feel like this one just, like, has them brutally kill all the people, all their, like, quote-unquote servants, and nobody's really that upset about it beyond the, oh, we really liked her. Like, that's a shame. Like, it didn't hit it too hard. How do you possibly hit it harder than that? Because it didn't need to, like, come out and say it. It showed us and not told us its politics. And I think that was brave. I think it tells you a lot about its politics. I think it's all over very smeared onto the movie. Henry Zerny, uh, his comeback. This is you his movie You know I nights. love the god Henry Zerny. I just think your, your take on it being like better on a subtextual level is silly. Move on. Number six, Queen and Slim. A really affecting uh, Bonnie and Clyde story that begins with sort of a pretty violence uh and begins and ends with a lot of violence um but beautifully shot violence and i think it really captures the american south in a way that i haven't seen before where it's beautiful but it's sort of like the land is kind of retaking all these icons that you remember from brands from 10 years ago and it creates this sort of like post-capitalist post-empirical america that's sort of fantastic um, and just the sort of the, the fatalism of you always knew what was going to happen the second the gun goes off in the first scene. Right. And that it plays with that in such a methodical way as to make you believe that they are going to get an, on an airplane and end up in Cuba by the end of this movie is so fucking heartbreaking. Really good performances from Daniel Kaluuya and Jody Turner-Smith. Number five, everybody's favorite couple, Midsummer. <laughs> Yep. We've talked about that one. We have. Number four, everybody's second favorite couple marriage story. Uh huh. <laughs> Number three, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Again, Ooh. a great movie about transitioning America and like the dreams that we have and how those things get interrupted because of the fantasies we act out. Um, super beautifully shot, super well acted. Thanks to Jimmy Fails for being on Be Real earlier this year. I swear to God, this is not just a shameless plug because we feel so indebted to you, but we do. Uh, yeah, I thought this movie was great. It is. It's a very original movie. Yeah, it's original. And like, that's cool too. God damn. You know what else was original by using tropes we've seen before and really subverting them in a way that wasn't boring? Hustlers. Mm-hmm. Number two. I thought this movie, like you said, was like one of the great American. It'll be added to the can of like great American crime movies. Wow, uh, that's hype. I mean, I thought it was as good as like The Big Short. Like, it's really 
sort of moving in the way you see actual people be affected by an actual thing you just read about in the New York Post with that like glib Republican accent on it. That's good. Keep going. You're number one? Number one. A movie we haven't talked about except on the whole podcast we did about it, Parasite. Yeah. I thought this movie... I mean, of course, it's better than Ready or Not um, in terms of its ability to By critique class. It's a, it's a, it sneaks into first place right at the end <laughs> past everybody's favorite crossbow comedy. <laughs> uh-huh. But Parasite, I think, is, is really, really good. I think it should be the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, fabulously shot, fabulously barbed. Uh, really, really, and it really shows you like a a piece of the world that feels like it was interesting to be let into a world where it wasn't like an American tourist in Seoul. It was like no right. these people who live in the actual city, like huh, they have their own story. So weird. Imagine that. Imagine that. It's made something like twenty million dollars. Like the word of mouth on Parasite. When was the last time? First, I'm I. No, a Korean language movie has never made that much money in the United States. But like, my mom went to Parasite. Um, this is the twenty million dollars worth of people we know. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just amazing that that twenty million dollars worth of people is seeing this movie. Well, it's because it was good. Yeah, I'll start with Parasite too. Uh, I'll start because it's my number one as well. And I was thinking about it a lot. I saw it again, and I was trying to put together a a definitive films of the decade list for Willamette week, which was both like really difficult. Um, but also easier than being like, these are my favorites. Cause that's so boring, but I basically was it heavy on the bong. The whole list. It was just like snow piercer. This I did not say snow piercer was a defining one of the 10 defining films of the decade. That wouldn't surprise me. Oh, Your okay. taste being mediocre and what and whatnot. Well, like I said, I tried to approach it in a in a less personal way, but I didn't see any way to get out of the decade without including Parasite. And I think it was interesting because I started the list with Social Network, which for so many obvious reasons, and we talked about it on the show, like presages the whole decade. It's amazing that that movie came out in 2010 and predicts like Zuckerberg's, like the dark heart of Zuck predicts the way that all of these fucking assholes are going to behave online, especially toward women, depicts what happens when you deprioritize your reality just because you can, just because it's this project you're working on. But I think Parasite ended up on the backside of my list as a great bookend, because if Social Network predicts the 2010s online, Parasite portrays the weirdness that we're left with in like our offline spaces. The, like, I come out of my you know, modest but comfortable apartment building in the morning and like that person's just sleeping in their car for the third week in a row. It's just part of, you walk outside and you you just see it. And the way that we like encounter each other in this weird like stratified world and the desensitization that happens and how we like, this movie about people who literally hide from other people and when we like regain sight of each other, how do we not spill into like total fucking fury? Um at what the world has put us through. It's an immaculate movie and my number one with a bullet. Incredible. 
I'm glad we could agree. This is the this is the, the the connective tissue that holds me and you together, Chance. That every once in a while we really just like fucking bait to the same movie. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, so my list from ten to one. At ten, I have the farewell. Uh, okay, Wong. I haven't seen that. Okay, Lula Wong directed. Aquafina doing drama. It's a movie with international perspective that's told from like very specific perspectives. So a Chinese family, but seen through the eyes of this young woman who grew up in America reckoning with uh, Chinese traditions about sparing dying people their feelings and whether or not to tell them they're dying. It's great. Number nine is Booksmart. Talked about that. Also, I just think hysterical and Caitlin Deaver. I'm so excited to see what she continues to do. Number eight is a movie we talked about. A little fucked up uh, little movie called High Life. Oh, man. Is High Life somewhere around your the top part of your... Did you like High Life? You called it good, good. Yeah, I don't know. A little the rough. more I think about like the, the fuck chair, though, <laughs> it kind of freaks me out. I beg you, sir, it is a fuck box. Sorry, the fuck box. Yeah, that, that kind of creeps me out. And um, does the fuck box have a fuck chair in it? You betcha. But <laughs> <laughs> We're just splitting fuck hairs at this point. <laughs> I like that movie. Um Number seven was High Flying Bird. Number six is a movie that I haven't really had occasion to talk about on this podcast because one of the things we don't do on this podcast is like Chance just baits about foreign movies that we're not discussing. Uh, Christian Petzl's German film Transit. You know anything about this movie? Oh, yeah. people. A couple other people have been talking about that. Nick Buder told me about Transit. He said it was his favorite movie of the year. Really? I also love it. It's... Uh, it's on Amazon. I should watch it. Yeah, let me see if I can get you on this premise. It's basically a Casablanca-esque story of like waiting to catch the last boat of Marseille before the Nazis come in, but set in 2019 with no explanation as to the period disjunction. It's just the events of 1944 happening now. You never see the Nazis. You just know they're coming. It's just a man in cafes like trying to maybe take one last stab at love while he eats pizza every day and wonders if he's going to make it out of Europe. That sounds like a great movie that I would like. It, it's quite good. Um, Marriage Story is my number five. As many terrible takes as I've seen the last like two weeks about like, well, well whose movie is it? And all the, the, you know, who wins? And all the different ways I don't think you should read the movie. I think if you go back and watch it a second time, the level of balance in the movie is immaculate because each time somebody else goes too far, it's because of a deficiency in the other person that they've come to accept, you know, over the course of their marriage. I think there is sort of a immaculate give and take that happens in the movie. Um, also, I told you this, I guess, I, I guess I'll share this. I was like doing fine with it. I was like, this is very good, but I am not like, I am not slaughtered. I am not laid low by this. And then, Adam Driver's reading, he finds Nicole's letter at the end, right? And he's reading right, it to of his son. And my fiance Sarah comes in and she's like, What is he reading? And I'm like, Well, he's reading and then I just like cried my eyes out for five minutes. Incredible. Yeah. So you're not better than fucking marriage story. <laughs> yeah. That's the lesson. The only bone I have to pick with this movie is the fact that I wish that Noah Baumbach would just come out and say, like, Hey, all the movies that I make are my life. 
Why do you wish that? Why would that make it better? Because it's so irritating to read New York Times pieces titled, Noah Baumbach knows what you're thinking, but it's not his marriage. And it's like, oh, it's not an child actress who came to New York to follow you kind of into the more indie scene who then like divorced you with your child uh, six, seven years ago. And then you like also got together with like another person in the indie scene at the same time. Like maybe he didn't cut himself fucking open, but just like squid in the whale was about his relationship with his parents. Just like kicking and screaming was about his ennui after graduating college. Uh, Just like Greenberg is him feeling like maybe he blew his shot being a filmmaker in the early or the late 20, the 20 zeros, the aughts. Yeah. This movie is about his relationship with Jennifer Jason Lee. And you just want a little more honesty about that? I just want people to be honest. Sure. I've been what I love about Nicole. Loving you. She's a great dancer. Infectious. She is a mother who plays, really plays. She gives great presents. She's competitive. I rewatched. Meyerwood stories the other day and I rewatched Squid and the Whale to kind of prepare for it and I've come to the conclusion that there's two kinds of Bombach movies there's couples who fight funny and dads who don't listen and I <laughs> much prefer couples who fight funny because there's nothing dads who don't listen that's just heartbreaking it is it's tough um I don't know some of his ones in the middle while we're young is terrible that's a terrible movie I'd say it's mediocre, uh, yeah. Greenberg isn't great. People bait to Greenberg, but I don't think it's very good. Um, Francis Ha and Mrs. America are essentially the same movie. Both good. Both both fine. Yeah. But Margo with the Wedding, also oh, Jesus a bulbous, Christ. icky film. Well, I think what you're saying is that a lot of these uh, can't hold a candle to one five years ago. So there was a horse at that one. There was a horse at that one. God, he's such a good writer when he wants to be. He is. My number four is Us, which I have basically already made my best of case. I won't put you through that again. Uh, my number three, sorry to say, because I know you want to see it as Uncut Gems. Ugh. I spent all goddamn... Well, I've spent the better part of a week writing about how Kevin Garnett in this movie is the best use of an athlete in a film ever by... by a Diamond District Mile. He's so good in this movie. And Sandler is such an oily scumbag <laughs> on like a mythological level. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, you have got to see it. I'm pumped. Sure. It's it's amazing. Especially if you like, if you like New York con movies. Yep. That touch that's, that's things I like. That also touch on the NBA, which is more me than you. Like, boy, this club has everything. It's interesting to have so many like very NBA adjacent movies in the same year. That's right. I got two in my top ten. I'm a simple, yeah, gullible person. That's fine. I accept that. My number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I also for like a while there was kind of shuffling it around my top 10 and I was like well you know I don't know if I needed to watch 25 minutes of the made up JT Lancer show 
um, or Bounty Law. And then I was just like, fuck this. Like, I like this movie way more than 98% of things I saw this year. Um, For sure. Movie stars don't get to do that anymore. Uh, Quentin Tarantino barely gets to do this anymore. We like Mike it. He says we'll get one more. Hopefully we get more than that. Um, and also I had... He's a young man. We'll get plenty more. I hadn't seen... There hasn't been a Tarantino movie that I really liked in 10 years since Inglorious Bastards. So this was like... This felt very good to me, even with all the mo- immoral baggage that came with it. And my number one is Parasite. Incredible. I really like all the movies like 11 through 20. I have too, man. It was a good year. Amazing Grace. No Knives Out out for you? Isn't my number 12. What was the first one? Amazing Grace, the uh, Aretha Franklin documentary. Um, Little Women shot up to about 15. I saw that last night. Really liked that. Um, Like I told you on chat, your girl Florence Pugh, I think, gives the best performance of the movie. So that's exciting. I like her. I wish my whole life was watching movies. Sometimes I like get in this frame of mind where sometimes i like i think maybe i don't like movies anymore after seeing like three or four bad ones in a row right um i think i've pulled out of that though yeah nothing makes you like movies like good movies yeah like thinking about good movies today while putting together this list made me realize that maybe i do like movies after all you want to do a tight 25 on shazam to close out the podcast that was also a pretty forgettable one too it's not not a good movie i put that in my uh Movies that exited my memory quickly. Anyway, are we out of here? I think we're out of here, buddy. Okay. Um, Hey, what a great year for us, for the podcast. Happy holidays, buddy. We're both about to be on the road a little bit. I hope you see more movies. We got some Star Wars coming up. We do. I'm trying to see that 1917. Oh, are you? supposed to be one take. Have you heard that? I have heard Love that. Is your dad going to go see 1917? He loves World War One. It's his favorite thing. He wishes it was still happening. <laughs> He's disappointed it's not. Yeah. You um, know what I'm pumped for? And I've what? seen the trailer now like five or six times is Underwater. You know that I love people trapped underwater more than anyone. What is Underwater? It's basically... Uh, Leviathan? The Abyss. Deep it's, Star 6? Uh, Yes, it is absolutely one of those movies. Seven miles. The, the trailer. The the tagline for this fucking movie is seven miles below the ocean surface. Something has awakened. Yeah, man. Thanks to the Playlist Podcast Network for hosting us for a whole year now. It's been. Uh, it's really been great. Appreciate that a lot. And uh, appreciate you, buddy. Yeah. Drive safe. See you soon. Can't wait. Happy holidays. Somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive, being alive. Somebody need me too much. Somebody knows.